I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. C-13 Originals. If you have any tips as it pertains to this story, please reach out to tips at gangstercapitalism.com or our tip line 347-674-6980. We can ensure anonymity. I spent almost four years exclusively covering the National Rifle Association, which I don't think another reporter has ever done before. That's Mike Spees. You heard Mike in episode one. He's a reporter for ProPublica, who's covered the NRA for The New Yorker and The Trace, a nonprofit newsroom which focuses on guns and violence in America. Insiders have been telling me for years, you know, you got to look at the contractors. There's all kinds of money issues. People complain about it all the time. One frequent contractor that came up was the NRA's longtime public relations firm, Akron McQueen. But for years, it was sort of like I just couldn't get into it. People would say it, but there was no proof. And then I started to develop a better stable of sources. I started to get information on people who were coming and going from the organization. People who would have, in theory, known things. The light bulb moment was this. At the end of 2018, the NRA filed its 2017 990, which is the tax filing that all nonprofits are required to send into the IRS. People would always tell me, like, they're keeping all the stuff out of their filing. There's a lot more there. And then suddenly this filing comes out and there are all these crazy disclosures in it. There were disclosures about the way the public relations firm Ackerman McQueen was getting paid. There were disclosures about personal expenses among executives. I thought, okay, this is this is like real things. And the question just became like, why on earth would this incredibly secretive organization put this stuff into the public sphere, basically acknowledging all these problematic transactions? And I was just shocked. Now it seems like there actually might be a paper trail. As it turned out, there was a paper trail. And Mike Spees was able to get his hands on a critical piece of it. It was a document written in the summer of 2018, during the time that the NRA's new attorney, Bill Brewer, was conducting his internal audit. And it came from within the NRA's own accounting department. It was titled, List of Top Concerns for the Audit Committee. And the Audit Committee is exactly what it sounds like. This is the committee that reviews all finance decisions, reviews contracts, signs off on them, makes decisions about vendor arrangements, 
it's the backstop. It felt, when I first started reading these documents, like, this is the NRA's Pentagon Papers. This is a partial secret history of what's been going on within the organization for several decades. It just seemed to lay out every possible kind of problem that a nonprofit could have. It's as bad of a thing as I think you can have in writing. I did not expect going into the annual meeting at Indianapolis that it would blow up the way it did. Papier claimed that his hand-picked guy was stabbing him in the back. But if he did step aside, they would make sure he got a good retirement package. Wayne LaPierre, you owe us an explanation. You owe us a greater voice in what's going on. I'm Andrew Jenks, and this is Gangster Capitalism, Season 2, the NRA. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Amy Poehler here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts, the team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Mike Spees again reading from the document he obtained from the NRA's Internal Audit Committee. The first section of the list of the top concerns document was titled Financial Conflict of Interest at the Senior Management and Board of Directors Level. The first item in that section was Woody Phillips dash payments made to, in quotes, significant other. Woody Phillips was the NRA's longtime treasurer and chief financial officer, titles that he held for 26 years before retiring in 2018. When Spees reached out to the NRA for comment, Bill Brewer explained that the significant other was, quote, a social friend of Woody's, who had been hired as an IT consultant and that the work had been subsequently approved by the audit committee. Later, Spees got a call with some other information about Woody. I got contacted out of nowhere by a person who was not in the National Rifle Association. It was a person who actually worked at an employee benefits company, which no longer exists, called the Wyatt Company. And it turned out that they wanted to talk about Woody. 
This person's name was Mary Hughes, and she was an accounts payable manager for the Wyatt Company in the late 1980s, during the time Woody was there. She said, there's something you should know about Woody and something that happened with him right before he came to the NRA. She said, the thing you ought to know is Woody was the CFO of this company that I worked at called Wyatt before he came to the NRA. And I caught him embezzling more than a million dollars. Woody had been fraudulently invoicing the company under actual vendors' names for years and diverting those funds into a personal bank account. And she discovered it because one of those companies called her one day and said, you owe us $45,000. And she said, oh, and she looked at the ledger and she said, I, I paid you $45,000. What are you talking about? And they were like, that didn't go into our bank account. So then she realized it was actually deposited into another bank account. And then she checked with the bank. Then it turned out that the account belonged to Woody. And it turned out that she discovered more than a million dollars worth of payments. So after Mary discovers all of these fraudulent invoices, she confronts Woody. And Woody's response, according to Mary, is, Mary, who else knows about this? At the time, nobody did, except Mary. So that night, after Woody left, she went to his office and found copies of the fraudulent invoices. Mary then reported her discovery to the Wyatt Company who quietly dismissed its CFO. It was reported that Woody paid back half the money he took. But after Wyatt, he wasn't out of work very long. In the early 90s, around the time that Wayne LaPierre became the CEO and executive vice president of the NRA, Woody Phillips was hired to oversee all of the organization's finances as the new treasurer and CFO. But Woody also had a side hustle. In addition to handling all of the NRA's money, he did the same for a marketing startup called Member Drive. One of his colleagues at Member Drive was Susan LaPierre, Wayne LaPierre's wife. And one of their biggest clients was the NRA. So, Woody was getting paid by the NRA as its CFO and also collecting money from them as one of their vendors. Woody Phillips, the guy in charge of the NRA's finances, was item number one on the audit committee's list of top concerns. And it wasn't a short list. So in addition to the conflict of interest, the next section was senior management override of internal controls and that meant violating accounts payable procedures, travel and expense reporting policy, procurement contracts policy, HR policy. Decisions are made in the best interest of vendors. Vague and deceptive billing by preferred vendors slash contractors. Some of whom have no current contract or no contract. It seemed like there was literally no internal control that wasn't being violated. It was a stunning admission this is specific, again, to senior management. These are the people that are running the organization. So it's like, how can you not question everything? On April 17th, The New Yorker, in collaboration with The Trace, 
published a feature written by Mike Spees entitled Secrecy, Self-Dealing, and Greed at the NRA. It was a bombshell report exposing allegations of gross financial misconduct among NRA leadership, focusing on its ties to Ackerman McQueen and the improprieties listed in the Internal Audit Committee document. Additionally, Spees pointed out the relationship between NRA attorney Bill Brewer and the McQueen family. Brewer is married to Sky McQueen, the sister of Revan McQueen, Ackerman's CEO, a seemingly obvious conflict of interest. You might remember from episode one that Oliver North had raised a red flag about Brewer's fees to Wayne LaPierre several times, but to no avail. LaPierre told North that as someone being paid by Ackerman McQueen, North had a conflict. But the day after the Spies article was published, North sent a letter to the head of the Internal Audit Committee, marked confidential. The letter read in part, as indicated in previous correspondence, we and others continue to be deeply concerned about the extraordinary legal fees the NRA has incurred with Brewer attorneys and counselors. The amount appears to be approximately $24 million over a 13-month period. North argued that it was his fiduciary duty to look into Brewer's work, and within his authority as NRA president, to call for an independent audit of Brewer and his billing practices. So he did. The letter was signed at the bottom by Oliver North's trademark postscript, which reads, Semper Fidelis is more than a slogan for U.S. Marines. Always faithful is a way of life. Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North has always defined himself by his military service, despite the way his career ended. And these operations were carried out in secret. Well, we hope so. They were covert operations. Yes, they were. That's audio from a joint congressional committee hearing in July of 1987, when Oliver North gave testimony for his role in the Iran-Contra affair, a scandal that took place during the Reagan administration. But these operations were designed to be secrets from the American people. Mr. Niels, I'm at a loss as to how we could announce it to the American people and not have the Soviets know about it. North admitted to facilitating the illegal sale of firearms to Iran and then using the proceeds from that sale to fund the Contra rebels, who were fighting to overthrow the Sandinista government in Nicaragua. He was convicted of three felonies. Though they were later vacated, the damage was done. It was an epic disaster. The Iran-Contra affair destroyed his military career and his reputation for a long time. And it took a long time for him to rebuild that reputation. Now, as president of the NRA, Oliver North saw another potential scandal on the horizon. So reports start coming out about rampant self-dealing and cronyism 
sweetheart deals at the National Rifle Association. And as that happens, he is the one who is sitting at the top of the organization. So just if you're over north, it's like, certainly don't want to go backwards. I already dealt with a huge scandal once. Like, I don't want to be seen as the guy who's letting all this go on on my watch. There were serious concerns, in part because the NRA was in a cash crunch about the amount of money that was going out the door to Bill Brewer's law firm. Six days after his letter to the head of the Internal Audit Committee and repeated attempts to get Wayne LaPierre to allow an independent audit of Brewer's billing practices, Oliver North decided to ratchet up the pressure. He placed a phone call to Wayne LaPierre's longtime assistant, Millie Hallow, who, like so many in the NRA's senior leadership orbit, has a checkered past. Millie was fired from one job for lying on her resume about receiving a doctorate she never got from a school that she never attended. Later, at a different job, she was convicted of a felony for stealing more than $23,000 of taxpayer money by having checks written to people who weren't owed money, some of whom didn't even exist, and then forging their signatures. Now, she was in the middle of the battle between her boss, Wayne LaPierre, and NRA president, Oliver North. Here's New York Times reporter, Danny Hakem. Oliver North calls Millie Hallow, or they have a phone conversation that day. So she wrote down her notes of the call on two pages of a legal pad. So I have a copy of those notes. He was telling her that Wayne needed to step aside. And if he didn't step aside, this letter was going to be released to the entire 76-member board that was going to be quite damaging. But if he did step aside, they would make sure he got a good retirement package. The notes also said, quote, the window is short. But LaPierre didn't need much time to think it over. Later that day, Hallow emailed North on behalf of LaPierre, saying, quote, This note confirms that he will not endorse you for another term as NRA president. LaPierre wasn't budging. The following day, North showed that he wasn't either, and he sent a second letter, this time to the board, on the eve of the annual meetings in Indianapolis. The subject heading was Formation of Special Committee on Crisis Management, and it opened with a dire warning. It read, quote, The NRA faces a crisis that could affect its ability to operate as a nonprofit organization. Then, in the same letter, North takes things one step further. He makes good on the alleged threat to Millie Hallow and Wayne LaPierre and he reveals spending improprieties on the part of Wayne LaPierre to the tune of $270,000 worth of suits from Xenia, a Beverly Hills designer clothing boutique, and over $240,000 in private jet travel, luxury hotels, and limousines. Those bills were paid by Ackerman McQueen, well, by an Ackerman corporate card 
with Wayne's name on it, which was all ultimately reimbursed by the NRA. In other words, the NRA membership was paying the tab. Later that night, Wayne LaPierre responded to the board with a letter of his own. Dear members of the board, it read, leaders in every walk of life must often choose between what is true and what is polite, between what is convenient and what is right. I believe each of you made that choice when you joined the NRA board. Yesterday evening, I was forced to confront one of those defining choices. Styled in the parlance of extortionists as an offer I couldn't refuse. I refused it. LaPierre concluded the letter by saying, I believe our board and devoted members will see this for what it is, a threat meant to intimidate and divide us. I choose to stand and fight and hope to bring five million members with me. Sincerely, Wayne LaPierre, NRA Executive Vice President. You might remember that back in episode one, on the first day of the NRA's annual meeting and convention in Indianapolis, Oliver North addressed the crowd. I'm here to deliver 10 million members before the 2020 elections. But then the very next day, during the membership meeting, North's chair was empty and nobody seemed to know what happened to him. Here's Stephen Gutowski, a journalist who covers the gun beat for the Washington Free Beacon. And then Richard Childress got up and he addressed what was essentially the elephant in the room, which was the absence of NRA President Oliver North. Richard Childress, a NASCAR legend and the NRA's vice president, approached the microphone. He wasn't scheduled to speak and he was visibly shaken. I just found out last night at 7 o'clock that I would be standing here, standing in for the president. So please bear with me today as we go through this. Without any objections, I'd like to read a letter from Oliver North. Please know I hope to be with you today as NRA president endorsed for re-election. I'm now informed that will not happen. Richard Childress was visibly devastated by what had transpired and what he was being tasked with reading. The atmosphere in the room was just totally bizarre. Honestly, when Childress read that letter from Oliver North, like people were shocked. I did not expect going into the annual meeting at Indianapolis that it would blow up the way it did. Childress finishes North's letter. There is a clear crisis. It needs to be dealt with immediately and responsibly. So the NRA can continue to focus protecting our Second Amendment. 
It was a great privilege to serve as your president this past year, an honor second only to serving our country as a U.S. Marine in combat. So if you ever need me in the future, just call. I will come. Suffer five. Oliver North. There was this incredible uh, Shakespearean power play between these icons of the conservative movement. I mean, it was played out in real time at the NRA annual meeting. It was one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen in uh, my years in journalism. That's Mark Merrimont, a two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter who covers the NRA for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Wayne LaPierre had been running the NRA for nearly 30 years and almost synonymous with the NRA and the Second Amendment. And Oliver North was his hand-picked choice to be the president, and now LaPierre claimed that his hand-picked guy was stabbing him in the back and uh, attempting a coup against him. I think that to give uh, North's account some charitable interpretation, shall we say, he was simply trying to do his fiduciary duty as the president of the NRA when he discovered some of these alleged improprieties on Mr. LaPierre's behalf. I mean, if you're the president of the NRA, you really believe in the NRA, and suddenly it's come to your attention that there's going to be some public reporting that Wayne LaPierre has been abusing expenses by charging off suits and what appears to be vacation travel to the organization and maybe some other expenses, along with some concerns about exorbitant legal fees that LaPierre has been approving, then uh, you say, uh, Mr. LaPierre, all these things are going to come out. You've been running this organization for 28 years. Maybe it's time to move on to avoid embarrassment for the NRA. That's the charitable interpretation of this. A less charitable interpretation is what the LaPierre people have put on, which is that North had basically tried to extort him into resigning. Mr. LaPierre, if you don't move on, we're going to leak all this stuff to the media and you're going to look bad and now it's time to do it and on your way out of the door, we'll give you a nice retirement package. The LaPierre people essentially have said, Oliver North isn't really acting independently as the president of the NRA. He's acting on behalf of Ackerman McQueen, who's his employer. And when he's trying to get rid of LaPierre, this is because LaPierre was trying to get rid of Ackerman McQueen. So he's sort of a pawn in fighting back. Here again is Mike Spees. I don't know what outcome Oliver North is hoping to achieve by going public at the convention and calling for Wayne's removal. I presume he was under the belief that he could win that power struggle. Oliver North obviously gravely miscalculated. Wayne LaPierre had survived what he called a coup attempt by Oliver North. North was gone. But now the membership meeting was starting, and LaPierre wasn't in the clear yet. The members meeting theoretically exists so that the members can have a voice. The bylaws specifically say that members shall be heard. And the opportunity has always been there for NRA members to speak up, take action, have a voice, influence what's going on with their organization. 
but very few people have shown up in the modern era of the NRA with any intention of actually taking to the platform, getting on a microphone, and saying anything controversial. That's Rob Pincus. Pincus is a professional firearms instructor and part of a growing segment of the NRA membership who were disillusioned with LaPierre's leadership. And now they'd reached their tipping point. We were the ones who were going to take our opportunity to get up on that platform and say, Wayne LaPierre, you owe us as the members an explanation. You owe us a greater voice in what's going on. So it seemed like the timing was going to be right. One of the things that has happened very specifically year in and year out is that as soon as the pep rally events are over, there'll be a call from the president's chair for any other new business. Immediately, someone who's scripted and planted will jump to a microphone and move that the meeting be adjourned. Someone else will second it. Before anybody knows what's happening, the president calls for a vote. The movement will pass and the meeting will be adjourned. And all of a sudden, anybody who even was thinking they might ask an important question or raise an important issue gets left in the dust. So we knew that that was going to happen. Oliver North was gone. But Richard Childress, who had co-signed North's crisis letter to the board, was presiding over the meeting in his absence. Pincus and others were in position, ready to jump in and voice their grievances. But LaPierre's supporters were ready too. So you start seeing Millie Hallow, a convicted felon who's been Wayne's executive assistant for a long time. She starts literally coming by with handwritten pieces of paper that say NRA board members and placing them on seats in the vicinity of these platforms that are set up for the members. Now there are more and more people sort of reading the tea leaves saying, wow, this is about to be a thing. There's two platforms, each with two microphones, and they're labeled for or against. You start to see this very awkward positioning of groups of people. You've got the reformists, the upstarts, that would be us, and then you've got the old guard. NRA board members are not supposed to take to those platforms. They're not supposed to speak. And we start seeing board members, past presidents, other people who are very active in supporting Wayne LaPierre, taking up positions next to these microphones. So we start standing up and we start taking up positions next to the stairs. You know, it was sort of, it was going to be like a foot race. But sure enough, as expected, the NRA tried to adjourn the meeting before any dissent could be heard. Those in favor of the order? Is this a motion to adjourn? Order hands, please. Point of order! Is this a motion to adjourn? Lower, please. Here's Stephen Gutowski. The attempt was made to adjourn the meeting altogether without hearing any resolutions. That caused a huge uproar. And so that got voted down. The membership said, no, we don't want to adjourn. We want to go through these resolutions and decide to vote on each resolution as it comes. And whereas recent revelations of questionable business and financial practices within the NRA regarding their dealings with various vendors and contractors... An NRA official is seated on the stage, and he reads aloud a resolution submitted by Rob Pincus and the reformists. The resolution, 
which identifies many of the same concerns of financial mismanagement and impropriety that were raised by Oliver North, concludes with a declaration of no confidence in Wayne LaPierre. To hereby express our disappointment, frustration, and lack of confidence in Wayne LaPierre's ability to guide the association out of the dangerous mess he has created and call for his immediate resignation and be further resolved. It calls for his resignation, along with members of the board of directors who were in charge of the various committees responsible for financial oversight. The proposal was calling for a vote of no confidence in Wayne LaPierre, calling for a complete public audit of all the NRA's finances, calling for a complete ethics committee investigation into the actions of Wayne LaPierre. There were a lot of uh, different specifics, but all of these were very antagonistic to Wayne LaPierre, to his regime, to the cronyism issues and the financial issues that had all blown wide open. It is proposed that instead of voting on the resolution, which calls for the resignation of Wayne LaPierre and a change in leadership on the board of directors, the resolution should be referred to the board of directors. Discussing these issues in an open meeting would be highly damaging to the interests of our association. Therefore, I move to refer this resolution to the board for action to its council and appropriate committees. Essentially, the board would get to decide whether or not to remove themselves from the board. No! No! Is there a second? Second. Point of order! There is a conflict on the board. To State the point of order, please. Point of order, the board cannot consider this matter. It is for the members, we, the NRA members, to decide these issues. Rob Pincus and his reformist group moved to discuss the resolution to remove LaPierre immediately and out in the open amongst the voting membership, instead of sending it to the board. And is a motion to go into executive session. This is known as executive session. Is there anyone that would like to speak in favor of going to executive session? Sir, your name, please. Rob Pincus, Mayland, New Jersey NRA Life Member. I believe we should go into executive session. And I, for one, would like to end the secrecy. I would like to end the control and open this up for debate, for discussion, and deal with the fallout from that honestly, openly, so we can get on with the business of defending our Second Amendment rights as intended. Rob Pincus knew that for his resolution to have a chance, it needed to be voted on right then and there, in that room, and not pushed to the NRA board, which was filled with Wayne LaPierre allies. Is there anyone who wishes to speak or yes going into executive session? Yes, ma'am. Marion Hammer, Tallahassee, Florida. That's Marion Hammer a former NRA president and legendary gun lobbyist from Florida. Hammer is responsible for passing laws such as Concealed Carry and Stand Your Ground, a law that gained wide recognition after the shooting death of teenager Trayvon Martin. Marion Hammer 
is also a current board member. Members, executive session of a group this size is not possible. Executive session is designed for secrecy to discuss internal business that should not be available to outside forces who could possibly damage your organization. There is no way to control an executive session. Anything said in here under the pretense of executive session will be public knowledge moments after it's said. Tax records show that just in the last 15 years, Marion Hammer has received almost $2 million directly from the NRA. So I am opposed to executive session. I am opposed to this resolution. The lifeblood of this organization is on the line. We are under attack from without. We do not need to be under attack from within. Richard Childress calls for a vote on whether or not to take the meeting into executive session. Those in favor, raise your credentials. Those opposed, raise your credentials. Yes. And that's democracy, people. It's opposed to us. There you have it. The reformists are outvoted. No executive session. And the resolution is then quickly moved to be determined by the board behind closed doors. Here's Stephen Gutowski again. And so that resolution, instead of being adopted by the membership in the meeting, was instead referred to the board, essentially these board members are going to get to decide whether or not they should resign. Which was a victory for NRA leadership for Wayne LaPierre. The response was, no, members don't have a voice. You need to pay your dues. Give us the money and trust us. We've got this. If you were going to script something that was tone deaf and the wrong response and exactly the problem, they provided it. The battle to remove Wayne LaPierre was over, and he was re-elected as executive vice president. But the war between the NRA and Ackerman McQueen was just getting started. Disastrous financial mismanagement, sexual harassment claims, a multi-million dollar mansion, sweetheart deals, and evidence of kickbacks would all spill out into the public. It appeared that people were getting rich off of money donated from members. And one more thing happened during the weekend of the annual convention. Remember Letitia James, New York's brand new attorney general? In episode one, we mentioned that James had made a promise during her campaign. Well, she made good on it. Letitia James, she's announced that she's opened an investigation into the National Rifle Association. The very same day Oliver North was a no-show at the convention, 
James officially launched her investigation into the NRA. We will be looking into the NRA and their finances, and there's been a number of individuals who have stepped forward, who serve on their board, who want to cooperate with our office. Just 24 hours after Donald Trump, Wayne LaPierre, and Oliver North had shared the stage, things had gotten very messy for the NRA. On the next episode of Gangster Capitalism, Wayne said, okay, okay, I surrender and we'll get rid of Ackerman and McQueen. He reported to the board that he had pushed Ackerman out. It seems that history is repeating itself as Wayne LaPierre is questioned about the relationship with ACMAC more than 20 years ago. And it was kind of a clever sleight of hand, but nobody did their due diligence, and I'm sure Wayne made sure they didn't. If you have any tips you'd like to share, please reach out to us at tips at gangstercapitalism.com, or you can leave a voicemail at 347 674 6980. For more information, go to gangstercapitalism.com and follow us on Instagram at gangstercapitalism or on Twitter at gangstercapital. This has been a creation and presentation of C13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13. Executive produced by Chris Corcoran, Zach Levitt, and me, Andrew Jenks. Written and directed by Zach Levitt and me. Produced by Lloyd Lockridge and Perry Crowell. Edited by Perry Crowell. Mixing and mastering by Bill Schultz. Research and production support by Ian Mont. Production management by Terrence Malingone. Studio coordination by Sean Cherry. Artwork and design by Kirk Courtney. And marketing and PR by Josephina Francis and Hilary Schuff. Our original score is by Joel Goodman. And our theme song, Your Sins Will Find You Out, is by Eli Paperboy Reed. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.